Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I want to say good morning to all of you watching and listening online, and let's do this formally together. Let's welcome the C4 North family, C4 North Durham this morning. We're so glad you're joining us this morning. So great to see you this morning. Amazing. Now, one church in multiple locations. So glad that you're with us and we're here together. If you've got your Bible this morning, love you to turn to First Peter virtually or physically uh, as we're in this series called Living Hope. And as we've been walking for the last few weeks through First Peter, it's been very interesting to see what we've begun to sort of unpack. Number one, Peter has been unbelievably clear that we as Christians have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning? We've got a living hope this morning, and Peter's really strong about that. And then what Peter started to do is he began to unpack what the living hope feels like and looks like and is because he's writing to a group of people that are persecuted for their faith, both economically and spiritually and relationally. And so Peter, when he begins to outline living hope, spends a vast amount of time outlining and telling us and encouraging us about the love of God. And he roots us in the love of God, the call of the Father, the work of Jesus, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, and all this amazing stuff comes out of chapter 1. And so he says we have a living hope. He spent a lot of time talking about the love of God, and then he threw something in that It's very uncomfortable, especially for a more middle-class church, but significant to our faith. He said, now you have a living hope, and now you have a clear picture, and you have tasted, and you know the love of God is true. Remember what he said, now you must fear God even as a Christian. That we must begin to believe we will give an account for every motive, every thought, every action that we do in this life, and we will face God. And this isn't about heaven or hell, but this is about stewardship and worship. And he says, so you've got a living hope, and you know the love of God, and now you will begin to live your life and your thinking and your motives with the fear of God at the root of who you are, and all of that combined together. He said, now I have told you all of this, now I command you to love one another. And Paul and Peter that roots all of this conversation in holiness. And verse 14 in chapter 1 is sort of that summary verse. He says, As obedient children, don't conform to evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he, that's God who's called you, is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And so Peter wants to continue the conversation about what holiness looks like when we're called to love each other as Christians. Uh, I came home a few weeks ago. Maybe you've had this experience. The house was clean. Hey, that's a miracle. Victory for my wife and I with three children. And the house was clean and organized. And I walked in and went, oh, wow. It's great that our house is clean. And I, I like order a little bit in the house. I can rest. It's sort of sanctuary for me when things are in order. So you can see I'm working through a lot of issues all the time. And so I, I come in. It was just, yes. And then I walked in. I was like, <laughs> something stink. It was just like, what's wrong in this picture? Everything's right. And I went into the kitchen and I opened the garbage and it was just like this. Ever had that experience before? You've just left it a little too long. Some of you are like, never, you have problems. Okay, well, that's our house. And so I walked in and this beautiful home, everything was organized, but this stench had gone through our home. Light a candle, wouldn't work. Time to get it out. Ever left your garbage in, in the garage in the summer and you've walked out and left it open? Ever had that experience? Any of you have cats? I just don't need to say anything else. 
else. You know what I'm saying? Here's the point. This house was nice and organized, but it was absolutely sidelined because of the smell, the garbage that we had left too long in our home. And Peter says these words, as we're going to get into this, you are a house together as one people, and you cannot allow garbage to begin to build up in the house, because no matter how beautiful the house is, no matter how organized it is, if it is full of garbage, it will smell, and no one will want to enter into that home. And so Peter begins to outline what holiness And the love of God and love for each other looks like when he continues this conversation. And so, in chapter 2, he outlines what this deep love looks like among believers. And he says this in 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore, anytime someone in the Bible writes therefore, that means because of everything else I've just told you. The love of God, the fear of God, the, the, the calling of God, your living hope. He says, therefore, now all of that should be clear in your mind and you know it. Now as Christians, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Get the garbage out of the house. Now, it's interesting why he addresses this. A community under pressure is always at the mercy of itself. A community or family under pressure tends towards bickering and division when things are tough. You know this in your own family. When there's a job problem or a health problem or finances aren't great, you begin to turn on those you love out of frustration. Now remember, this community is actually under physical threat for their faith. And Peter's saying to them, you know the love of God and you know the fear of God and you know your living hope is true, but the pressure is mounting more and more. And so we must make a communal vow together that we will not allow ourselves to turn on each other and be begin to violate this beautiful home with garbage that in the end will drive us out. He says, as we become more attacked, we must guard our inside. And so Peter says, let me address the attitudes and the actions that could kill God's love and smear our living hope and help us avoid the fear of God and shatter what God has begun among us. He says, look, this stuff is like acid, This can burn through the walls of a community in a moment. He says, number one, I want you as a Christian, if you call yourself one, to rid yourself. It's a strong word. Put away, throw off, get rid of the garbage, throw or discard the habits and attitudes that are harmful to one another, throw out the garbage, because if you don't, things will go sideways. So garbage bag number one, very stinky, malice. Well, what's malice? It's an old English word. It means ill will towards another person. Malice actually is demonstrated this way in a family or a church. Bitterness, grumbling, and complaining. How many of you have done church more than a day? Please raise your hand. You're all laughing already. I love it. Have you ever been in a church where there is grumbling, complaining, and bitterness? Please raise your hand. Get rid of the garbage, Peter says. It's not welcome in the house anymore. He says malice is completely dangerous. And by the way, here's the second bag of garbage. It's called deceit. 
Deceit's another word for lying, exaggeration, trickery, and falsehood. It can even manifest itself in, in an inconsistency between what you say you believe about the world or God or doctrine and how you live. It's acting one way but having a different motive. Deceit is when you do not speak honestly or you do not speak under the authority of Scripture. Malice, grumbling, complaining, deceit, which is basically lying. And then he says, and hypocrisy. Hypocrisy comes from the Greek idea from Greek theater of one actor having many masks. He says, insincerity will always kill a local church. Your motives when you speak appear pure, but are not pure. You act one way or you think something about one person, but you pretend that everything is okay in their presence. And then he says, so you've got deceit, and you've got malice, and you've got hypocrisy. And then he says, oh, by the way, let me tell you where the unholy spring comes from. It's called envy. Actually, envy really is the fuel for these other things. If you're an envious person, you promote strife, you like rivalry, you love fighting for the love and favors of others towards yourself. Envy and jealousy are like those ugly twin sisters who continually destroy a church. And then he says, oh, by the way, and if that's not enough garbage and acid to talk through, he said, oh, let me add just one more that's so significant. Slander. Now, slander is any speech that harms any other person. Slander is when you insult or you malign or you slur or smear or vilify or defame or gossip or you curse or any conversation that casts any doubt on a person's reputation or here it is and their motives. If you say this person when they said that means this and you have no access to their motives, it's slander. See, words matter in every part of life, and words matter in a church even more. Think about the scriptures. The world, creation itself, was brought into being by words. Do not underestimate the power of words. Words are creative, and once they are released, they always create. Words are alive and active, and as James, Jesus' half-brother says, they can destroy and set a whole forest on fire, or they can bring life. Now, of course, slander takes many forms. Much of slander is actually never used with words. It's body language. When someone says something about someone, you just go, slander, or prayer requests, or, or a concern, or, or problems, or publicly or privately doing all these different things. This is the critical, critical thing that Peter says cannot be allowed any longer. One person said deceit is practiced in one's face, and malice is done in, without a person present. So malice is when someone's not there, and deceit is when someone is there. And Peter comes along and says, I just want to tell you, since we're all under persecution right now, it is not tolerated. This is not allowed anymore. This garbage must be removed at this moment from the church, and the church must make the decision to do this. Now he says, I want you to replace these dangerous acid-like attitudes with something else. He says, verse 2, I'd like you to reverse it with truth. So like a newborn baby, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now notice all the evil acts that Peter has just talked about have you or us at the center. 
Malice and deceit and hypocrisy always is about protecting you or promoting you or they're fed by fear or pride. But our movement's countercultural. So Peter says, I want everyone to choose to reject self-sufficiency and depend on God like a newborn baby. I don't know if you've ever had children before. This is still recent memory for me. When my children decided they were hungry when they were babies, I knew it. They would scream and scream until it was done. And God comes along through Peter and says, this is the image I want for the church. That we would be so in tune with our need for holiness and realizing like a newborn babe, we cannot be holy or love God or have the fear of God or love each other unless we continually come back time and time again to God himself and say, please help me. Now, a lot of times when people read this, especially as older Christians, they go, well, this isn't talking to me because I'm not a new Christian, so I'm not a newborn babe. Wrong. Peter says very directly here, like a newborn baby. Certain people getting this letter, this circular letter, were actually 30 years already in the faith. What is being said here is this. Like a newborn child, eagerly and frequently, always make time for the milk that God is giving. Well, the New Testament image for milk is God's word. It's interesting, if you read the church fathers, I was reading them this week, some of them, and what they used to do when someone became a Christian is just after their baptism, they would give them a cup mixed with milk and honey, and they were to drink that between their baptism and communion. And as the priest or pastor would give it to them, this was a reminder that they were committing their life to drink the milk of God, and they were declaring that they had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Isn't that a cool symbol? And this is exactly what Peter is saying. He says, look, we have these attitudes that could wipe out a church in one moment. We all have to make a communal decision that they will not have any ground in the church anymore. And instead, we are all going to continually make the decision like a newborn babe to go to God so those attitudes do not take root in any life across our whole community. And so Peter says, and he's not angry when he says it. It's not a statement like, do, he's just like, look, everybody... Grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. See, birth is not the end of life. It's the beginning of the process. And we're now called to grow up in our faith. And the process of growing up in your faith, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 10 years or 40 years. The sign that you are growing genuinely from God's perspective in our faith is that you decide as a follower of Christ and we as a family decide that we would invite the Holy Spirit to convict us every single time we start piling up garbage in our own lives immediately. We would welcome him to walk in and go, get the garbage out. And also that we would be marked as a church by people who love God's written word and we would sit under God's written word and we would crave the word of God like a baby craves milk. Those are the two signs you are truly growing according to God. He says, now you know the love of God and you know that the old life is not worth it. And now you've encountered the living God through Jesus and you know that he in his life is better and sweeter than what deceit or malice or slander or pride or envy could ever give you or produce in you. Now grow up in your faith because you've met the living God and since you have living hope, it is now natural for you to want to spend more time with Jesus and less time with all of that. And so Peter continues to write to this church, and here's what he says next. So as you come to him, 
the living stone, rejected by people, but chosen by God and precious to him. Now, by the way, I read this quickly this week and had to stop and realized I had missed this. This is a huge wow moment if you're a Christian. Do you see that phrase, as you come to him? This is literally lifted out of the Old Testament from Leviticus and Exodus. This phrase, as you come, was used when a priest would walk into the tabernacle or temple to hear God's voice. This was used when Moses walked right into God's presence, into the tabernacle. This phrase was used when the high priest walked into the Holy of Holies once a year to atone for the sins of a nation. And notice what Peter says. Now to all of us, everyday, regular Christians, we get to do this without even thinking. Isn't that amazing? And he says, and what happens every time we walk into the place where angels fear to tread? What happens? Well, we always continually are encountering one person. See, as we enter in, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men. In other words, as we come and we continually encounter Jesus. And notice the description of Jesus. We sang about it, and it's critical. The what stone? Everyone say it loud. What's the word? The living stone. And I love that this is actually a name for Christ that we need to remember. Jesus is living. He is not dead. Jesus is living right now. He did not set up a movement or moral rules. There is no monument to find Jesus on earth. Jesus is living. He's our cornerstone. He's the foundation of the church. And when we come into the place called holiness, we always encounter the living Jesus. Isn't that great, powerful, and beautiful? But interesting, when you see this, we also begin to see there are only two responses to the living stone. Either you accept him or you reject him. Peter's going to use some very strong images in the next few minutes. He says, many have come and examined Jesus thinking they actually knew best. That they were expert builders and they determined that Jesus should be cast aside and he was unfit. Herod Pontius Pilate, the religious leaders of the day, but billions of people since have said about Jesus and to Jesus, you are unfit, you are not right, you are not stable, you are not true. But what this scripture declares and what Peter's going to keep outlining is this, God the Father has decided to say, no, I override every human decision and every human evaluation and all judgment is nothing because I have decided, the Father says, to make Jesus my forever living stone, my forever yes, and my whole kingdom is built on him. Verse 5, he says, now that's true of Jesus. Peter says, let me talk about you. And you also are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are living stones making up this ever-growing spiritual house. Here's the amazing fundamental truth of our faith. That we as Christians across all spaces and all times and all denominations, death does not even separate this. We actually are the temple. There is no more temple where God fills on earth. Every Christian on earth is possessed by the Holy Spirit and unites us into one great house. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are not your own. 
So Peter says, I want to remind you, you're not just a temple. You don't just have prime access to God. You're not just loved by God. He says, there's something even more going on. You form a holy priesthood. Would you turn to your neighbor this morning and look at them? Just do it right now. I know, just say, you're a priest. Say it real loud. In the north, you're a priest. Some of you are going, oh, no, no, no. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Father and mother. Yes, you are. Okay, I want you to catch this. Every Christian on earth is holy. That means separated, consecrated, made right before the Father, and called into holiness. But not just holy, every Christian on earth, no matter gift or background, is a priest. Well, what does that mean? It means this. We all have equal access into the place where angels fear to tread. We can go and we can serve God directly. So access is the same, but roles are different. Never change the scripture here. This does not mean that there are not spiritual gifts and we don't have different roles. This is not saying that there are not offices like elder and deacon. No, no, that's a different conversation. But what Peter is saying, think about this, to Jews and non-Jews, slave and free, men and women, he's saying, I want to remind you, even when you're being persecuted, guess what? You all have access. You have greater access to God than the high priest. You have greater access to God than Moses. You have greater access to God than any person in the Old Testament because Jesus, the living stone, has made you a living stone. You're being built into this amazing house and you get to walk in with boldness. Isn't that amazing this morning? That's the truth of our faith. You can clap about that. That's amazing. We are priests together. Now the question is, Peter says, well, we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Well, what does that mean? Because Jesus ended the sacrificial system. Nothing has to die anymore because he had the permanent death and the permanent resurrection. So what is a spiritual sacrifice? Well, actually, it's not complicated. Anything you do in the name of Jesus with the right motive for the kingdom is a spiritual sacrifice. Prayer, evangelism, loving the poor, taking communion, coming to church, anything you do that is kingdom-oriented and you do it For the glory of God and not yourself becomes an amazing spiritual sacrifice in this new temple towards God. So Peter says, I want you to know who you are. I want you to celebrate what God has done in your life. I want to remind you you have amazing access. I want to remind you that you're called to love each other. And so as we're being built into this huge house, Peter stops. He says, but I need to come back to Jesus for a moment. He says, by the way, there are only two options for all people as they move forward to the end. It says in the Old Testament, verse 6, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, oh, this stone, this is precious. For us as Christians, Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith, and he's the foundation of our living hope. So Jesus to us is precious and valuable and costly, and he's dear to us. He's given us dignity. He's break the power of sin and shame and guilt. We would declare that Jesus is immovable. He's the center. But notice, you can't bypass Jesus. The stone's too large to avoid, to walk around, or walk away from. Peter says, still quoting the Old Testament, but to those who do not believe, the stones the builder rejected have become the capstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. That's the good news, which is also what they were destined for. When you embrace Jesus, he becomes the foundation for your faith, your life, your practice, your purpose, your morals, your living, your living hope. But for those who say no to Jesus, 
They will stumble and fall, whether in this life or the next. It's interesting, if you read Philippians 2, it says that at the end of time, every single person will have to declare that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. Every Muslim, every Hindu, every atheist, every agnostic, every Jew, every person on earth, no matter their background, will face Jesus Christ. And whether they want to or not, they will have to declare that Jesus is who he always has been and is today. He says, this, this rock will make many stumble. You know, the most famous verse in the Bible other than Psalm 23 is John 3.16. Every American football game, even though. Anyway, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not die but have everlasting life. And people applaud, but they don't keep reading. See, John says the exact things that Paul says. And Paul says the same things that Peter says. See, verse 18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Either you build your life on Jesus or you trip over and fall over Jesus. For those who reject Jesus, it will be of great loss and judgment. But for those who call on Jesus and love Jesus, though we have not seen him, he is precious to us. See, eternity is not determined by race or morality, or religious affiliation. It is completely determined on what you do with God's one and only Son, the living stone, where either you're in that kingdom or you're in no kingdom at all. Now remember again the original audience. Jews, non-Jews, slave-free, being persecuted. And Peter is writing this to them because he wants to remind them that as they are losing their jobs, as they are being lied about, as they are being attacked, as they are being forced to the margins of their society, he is saying to them, as you are being attacked, because you love the living stone, he says, I just want to remind you, all of those people who are doing this to you either will become your brother and sister or they will stumble and fall. Take hope because this conversation is going to end by everyone facing Jesus. He says, this is your truth and this is absolutely imperative. Now, Peter wants to deeply encourage the church. And so this is what he does. Peter does something again that if you, especially if you're a person from a Jewish background this morning, you will understand the scandal of what he as a Jew does. Peter takes the most precious and the most sought after descriptions of the Hebrew people given by God, and he gives them now to the church. Now, I want to read something from the story of Moses. Because only when you know your Old Testament does the New Testament burst forth into life. Listen to what God said to Moses to say over his people. Exodus 19.5. Now if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, God says, you will be for me, notice, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Everyone got that? Now I want you to hear 1 Peter 2.9. But you, church, Jew, non-Jew, you are the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into his wonderful light. 
You are now the new and permanent spiritual nation, not based on ethnicity, not based on geography, but based on your relationship to Jesus, the Messiah, King of the Jews, and the Son of God. Peter says it again, you're chosen and elect and predestined and foreknown. And as Jesus was chosen, you were chosen. And like I've told you, he says, you're all now priests. But let me add a descriptor, he says, not just priests, you're royal priests. You get to approach the king without fear. You get to approach the king of the universe and serve him. You've been chosen to be in his presence, chosen to obey him, chosen to be holy, chosen to be loved by him, chosen to show the world who God is in his fullness. And notice the description. It is so unbelievably barrier-breaking and powerful. And it is at the reason, at the heart, why all garbage must be thrown out. We are built into how many nations? One or many? No. Oh, my goodness. Three people. How many? One. There is only one temple. There is only one nation. There is only one church from heaven's view all around the world. We are being built into one group of people that actually transcends all of our differences because we are rallying around Jesus, our living stone. And Peter says, and and what do we get to do when we rally around Christ? He says, verse 9, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is when Christians get their preach on. We go, you know what? I was blind, yes. Ignorant spiritually, yes. Owned by sin, I admit it. Death had the final say, I admit it. Satan, I didn't even believe in him, but he really was real and he held me. Spiritually dead, it was true. My actions always had me at the center, and so I was an enemy of God. But that's not me anymore. I was called out of darkness, and now I get to live in the light of God. Now, Peter says, by the way, if any of you are crossing your hands and getting defensive, even as Christians, he says, you want me to bring home the extent of darkness and how bad it was? He says in the next little verse, he invokes one whole Old Testament story in one verse. He invokes the story of Hosea. Do you know the story of Hosea? Hosea was one of God's prophets. Hosea's wife was unfaithful. Hosea's wife actually had multiple affairs on Hosea, and not only that, she so enjoyed the lifestyle, she got into prostitution full-time. Hosea is God's spokesman, and this is his wife. And then God comes to Hosea and says to Hosea these words, you are going to go back, and your wife is in such trouble, she's now in a slave market, you are going to go and you're going to buy her back and make her your wife again, and you're not going to do it out of anger, you are going to love and honor her. And Hosea goes and takes his unfaithful love, you know, this woman back in and doesn't say, you better, no, he says, I'm going to honor and love you. They have two children together. One is called not loved and the other is not my people. Any child psychologist in the room? Oh, right? This is not loved, not my people. They're going to be fine. Yeah, not so much. Now, I want you to understand, God says, I'm going to use this. Your life is going to be a living picture of my faithfulness. And what God does, and you can read about it in Hosea 2.23, he says to the people of God, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one, and I will call those not my people, my people, and they will say, you are my God. Now, you got that in your head? Verse 10. Once you were not a people, you see it? 
But now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's what God is saying. You are unfaithful and blind and not a people and lovers of other gods. And you loved yourself more than me. But now I, as a faithful God, love you. I, God, through Jesus, have come for you despite with you being in bed with so many other people. And I choose to make you my people. You're my child. You're my spouse. You're my dear friend. You're my beloved. And I have decided to call you elect you, sanctify you, cover you. I've decided to mercy, give mercy to you in a way that is profound. I choose to make you a people with full access. I make you a living stone, the temple of God, chosen. I'm going to make an unfaithful people, priests that are loved, that get to live in the light of God. Hosea's wife, that's every one of us. Hosea's children, not love, not my people, every one of us. And God, like Hosea, walks into our life and says, I'm going to show you what mercy is. I'm going to show you what forgiveness is. I'm going to take a family that is completely broken, and I'm going to show you what resurrection looks like again. I am the living stone. Watch me bring death to life, resurrection power to show the world who God is. See, that's the power of the good news. And, and what he's saying is now, if that's true, if that's true, then dear friends, verse 11, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from all sinful desires which war against your soul. Since you have a living hope, and since you actually know the love of God, and since you know you are Hosea's wife, and you are Hosea's children, and since you've experienced the faithfulness of God, and since you believe in the fear of God, and since you believe the church is the only hope of the world because Jesus is living in it by his spirit, then here is my command. Get the garbage out of the new house. No acid. You know, it's very interesting. C4 North, Durham, listen to this. Isn't it striking that the very first message that God chooses to give to you is this one? As you begin brand new, joining our family, God is saying to all of us down here and all of you up there, this cannot be allowed across C4 in any way. I want a house to be pure and honest and genuine and powerful. He says, do not allow any of those attitudes to gain any foothold at all. By the way, this is to us here this morning. I'll say it to the next service. I'll say it to all of you. If you're coming from another church and you haven't worked out your stuff, Work out your stuff. Work out your stuff. Because you've got to work this stuff out because this is God's house, not our house. And God's house needs to show the world that God is a good, loving God. And this stuff destroys a house. So he says, this stuff wars against your soul. You ever uh, watched in the last little while what's happening overseas? You ever actually just sat down and watched what real war looks like? It's awful. It's terrifying. It's marring, it's unjust, it's unfair, it rips at the soul. We see this even now, all these hundreds of thousands of people, they'd rather risk their children's lives going across an ocean than stay where they are. And Peter, without exaggeration, says, I want to bring this home to you. The attitudes that I am telling you to get out of the church will war against you. They will have the same effect that war has in real nations. He says, because you know the love of God and the goodness of God, let us make the decision to say no to all of that now. And then he ends by saying this, so live such good lives among non-Christians that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Be holy. Be so radically different with your sex, 
and your money and your power and your relationships and your entertainment and your worship. May your life be so holy that when people misunderstand or outright lie about you and when they accuse you of false things, your life and your belief will prove them wrong. In other words, he simply says, I want you to turn them from haters to wonder and worship because your life actually demonstrates the fear of God and the love of God. Peter says God's move is so profound, so genuine, so real. And he simply says, we must sit down and have an honest conversation so the house that is being built, that is such a profound gift, is never marred or touched. Two things and then I'm done. To some of you that are here today, and again, you are just people who are searching and wondering and questioning. Like I always say, you may be of another faith, no faith at all, or you may have the title Christian, but you know in your core you are not a follower of Christ. Let me just give you a thought today. I've preached this before. In a world divided by race and gender, about how much education you do or do not have, or the mistakes you've made uh, by people you know or don't know, in a world of violence and political extremism and family breakdown and religious fanaticism, in a world that's closer and yet never farther apart, in a world now of 7 billion people plus, I ask you this question. Is there any person or any movement that can meet the needs or answer the questions that are found in you, your children, your family, your co-workers? Is there anyone who can give honest peace, a new start, and forgiveness for all the stuff you've done in secret or in public and actually teach you and give you the ability to forgive every person that has ever hurt you? And I'm here to declare this morning, and we would do this as a church, the answer is 100% yes. Jesus, the living stone, God in flesh has come and given us a life we could never have, died a death we deserved. He's raised himself from the dead by the Father's power. And at that moment, he has overcome everything and every experience that actually would block us from God and each other. And he just, I just want to say this this morning, look at all the amazing things that God promises those who embrace Jesus. I just want to ask you this morning, what do you do with Jesus would you move from darkness to light, from not loved and not a people, to now being part of God's new and permanent people? Would you wrestle with that? Would you think about that? Would you struggle with that? To us as Christians here gathered this morning, we who belong to this church, here's my last words to us. There's pressure, and there's a call for love, and there's a call for unity. It's interesting, you know, um, as you look at Peter's descriptions of the church. They're very high and very lofty. Uh, called and loved. But you know what? Peter's churches were no different than ours. If we hung out in Peter's churches, they didn't worship better or didn't have better theological... Listen, same deal. But Peter kept looking at the church from heaven's view all the time. And Peter wanted to inspire us not only to something that could be, but must be. And he did it because he reminds us of the love of God and our living hope and the fear of God. And he calls us together to a new standard of ethical living out of those things. And I just, I want to say this again. In moments of great pressure, the tendency for families is to turn to bickering and turn on each other. And we at C4 at this moment, I just want to say this to everyone, we're under tremendous pressure right now as a family. Now it's good pressure. It's good pressure. All this growth and this launch of C4, this launch right now is an example of that. And our global partnerships and all these people coming and on and on. This is all good. And all I want to say this morning is this. 
In the middle of growth, in the middle of baptisms, in the middle of giving, in the middle of launching new sites, in the middle of all the stuff we're doing for the glory of God, I just want to remind all of us of one thing, and it's critical. Not one of us in this church can give ground to the devil, and not one of us in this church can get involved in the things that Peter says we are forbidden to do. Because if we do, we will turn on each other, and as the pressure grows, we will actually collapse from the inside and the outside. God is doing a new and mighty and powerful thing among us, and we are called to guard what the Lord has planted. Do you agree with that this morning? So why don't you do this? Would you stand with me this morning as I pray? All of you in the north, would you stand this morning too? And as we get ready to respond in song, there's no, there's no wagging finger here. This is just a commitment to this. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you that when we were Hosea's wife and we are Hosea's kids, you came for us anyways. Thank you that you love us and you've called us and you've made us new and different. But here's our prayer. This is where discipleship gets real. Rubber meets the road. Lord, this church is filled with broken people, all of us, and you know our tendency. And so here's our question to you this morning. Lord, are you pleased? And Lord, we're asking you to deal with any form of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander of every kind. We welcome, would you do this? Would you put your hands out, church, in front of Christ? Would you do this in the north? We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to deal with any of this in our church because we want holiness in this church. We want love in this church. And we pray that you would root this garbage out of the house so that when people see our lives, they will say, even though I don't like you or I've even lied about you, man, do I want to meet the God you've met. Lord, we can't preach this. We, can't, we just can't preach this into ourselves. We need a work of Christ. So you've promised us renewal. You've promised us revival. You've promised us awakening. And so we know that revival is connected to the lordship of Jesus. So because God loves us and because God cares for us, we pray, O oh Lord, continue to confront us and root this stuff out so we can be free and we can be joyful and we can love each other and show the world that the world does not have to stay the way it is. In the name of God the Father who called us together, we say amen. In the name of God, the Son who died for us, we say amen. In the name of the Holy Spirit who makes us like Christ, we say amen. Let's sing to him together today. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.